Hello, welcome to another episode of the Menswear Style Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Brooker, and on this episode, I'm going to be speaking to the founder of Oliver Spencer, Oliver Spencer. So, Oliver Spencer, the brand, this was founded in 2002, having spent the previous decade creating and expanding formal wear brand Favorbrook, Ollie wanted to create something new. A range of clothing with all the quality and craft of premium tailoring, but with a relaxed modern style. The philosophy? Quality needn't mean formality, casual needn't mean careless. So Oliver was really generous with his time, and whilst we were talking, we also touched upon a lot of the sustainability element involved with the brand Oliver Spencer. So we thought it might be a good idea to get the head of sustainability for Oliver Spencer on the phone, Blue Wickham Burnham. It was a very impromptu call, but Blue was really gracious with his time also and gave us some really good insights. So stay tuned after the chat that we had with Oliver. We're also going to get on the phone to Blue. Now, in the meantime, uh, do check out the website, menswearstyle.co.uk. There you'll find all the reviews, travel features, lifestyle articles, competitions still running on the website. Do check it out. And if you want to get in touch with us here at Menswear Style, it's info at menswearstyle.co.uk. Okay. So here's that chat with Oliver Spencer. Well, it's my great pleasure to introduce to the podcast Oliver Spencer, of course, founder of Oliver Spencer, the brand. How are you doing today, Oliver? Well, I've, uh, yeah, woken up and uh, it's cloudy. The sun's not out. We've had good, uh, we've had good weather, actually, recently, which has been nice. Um, the days are a little different at the moment because, obviously, I'm at home and working from home. And uh, that's, uh, um, well... Uh, it changes as good as uh, a lot of things, really. Um, so you go about your work in a different way, and you look at your work in a different way. And I think that this is the whole situation for as bad as it is, and it is shocking and terrible. It does give you five minutes to look at what you're actually doing and wonder whether you're doing it correctly, and wonder whether you should be uh, uh, wonder how really you should be. Uh, looking at pushing your business forward in the future. Yeah, and so where is home for you right now? The Isle of Wight. Are you now? Are you kind of trapped on the Isle of Wight, or are you uh, are you based in London as well? How does it work for you? No, I'm not going to London at all at the moment. Um, I've got a home in London, but I've got a home on the Isle of Wight, so I'm trapped on a on a not so desert island. I spoke to a friend last night I said I'm going to be speaking to Oliver Spencer today I've heard he's trapped on the Isle of Wight and I said it as a joke but he then goes oh my god is he okay has he got food and water I said yeah it's all right it's you know it's a civilized place (laughs) yeah 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 it's good we we have uh, um, all the amenities down here there's 160,000 people live on the Isle of Wight Uh, it's somewhat um I was—I uh, mean, I love the Isle of Wight. It's about 20 years behind the mainland, so the, all the stuff down here is, is is done. I mean, there's huge tomato farms down here, huge garlic farms, massive dairy herds. I mean, it's so self-sufficient. Of course, you've got the water all around you as well. Mm. Um, so it's really self-sufficient down here. And um, uh, don't tell anyone I said so. But it's a fantastic place to live, so don't come running down here, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah so you're enjoying your peace and quiet as is. Uh, well, not quite. I've got three boys under the age of fifteen, and uh, it's pretty mental. But um, uh, 
no, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Oliver, I was going to ask you how the business is getting on amidst the pandemic, but I wanted to kind of shoot that back a little bit. But first, I wanted to get maybe a thumbnail sketch of you and your background. You went to art school, is that correct? Yep. Yep. I went to art school. didn't last very long. Right. Um, yeah, it was kind of a... Uh, yeah, I was kind of too busy, um, too busy uh, on my market stall, really, in Portobello Road. This was back in the early 90s. And um, I uh, sort of switched out of art school and went to selling secondhand clothing, which was great fun. The School of Life. School of Life, self-taught tailor. Now, for anyone that wants to do self-taught tailoring these days, I'm, I imagine they would just rush to YouTube, you know, try and devour as many videos as they can and realize it's impossible next to impossible and kind of quickly abandon it. Now, I'm taking leafs out of my own book here because I've done fashion academies and I'm trying to be self-taught. And it's, and it's really hard. So how did this process work for you? Well, the process worked for me was that I found that I was selling more stuff than I could get hold of. So um, the process started for me by, by very simply, I went, uh, I found a, a fantastic workroom in the East End of London and uh, a wonderful man who, who bought his patterns out and showed, showed me how to cut uh, a pattern across some cloth. Wow. And I just spent time in that factory learning uh, the basics of manufacturing. Um, Textiles have always been a huge thing for me. So then my next step was that I went off and this is over a period, by the way, of about two or three years. Mm. My next step was to go off and learn more about textiles. And I went up to Suffolk to do that, to a place called Stephen Walters. And um, find out about how you weave, uh, spinning yarn, all of that type of stuff. And um, so basically that was it. But, but shopkeeping was sort of always quite high on my agenda so I guess in about 93 we opened our first shop um, and this was all Favourbrook um, which is still a business I own and doing uh, doing really well um, uh, we started that business and we started, slowly built the businesses up from that so with Oliver Spencer you, um, you manufacture in the UK and Portugal and mm-hmm. is there a, a bigger scheme or philosophy for you to bring more manufacturing back to the UK? How, how's it sitting with you right now? Yeah, it sits with me pretty well. There are things you can't produce in this country um, anymore. So you can't produce shirts really. There are a couple of shirt makers left but not really very many. Mm. Um, so the best shirt makers are down in Portugal at the moment. Um, Tailoring, uh, deconstructed tailoring is better done in Portugal. Um, uh, constructed tailoring, you can definitely produce in the UK. Um, so we have a pretty healthy mix of the two. Um, I'm very pro-British, uh, very pro-British cloth. Uh, in the winter, the UK does fantastic cloth. In the summer, uh, the, you're generally better off buying Italian cloth. However, the caveat there, because we sell a lot of linen and we buy a lot of linen from Northern Ireland. Right. Um, and there's some uh, very nice, very, very nice linen coming out of Northern Ireland. Um, 
So I think that, uh, you know, we have a bit of a mix up, but we keep it very localized. I mean, I want my, you know, if I'm making shirts, um, the, the shirt maker is probably um, 10 miles away from the shirt mill. Right. Um, down in Portugal. So uh, that tells you that we're keeping the footprint to an absolute minimum the whole time. And that's my objective. And my objective, actually, for the business going forward, um, uh, and especially in light of what's going on, is to become more organic and more um, uh, making my footprint smaller, basically. I think that's a very, very important thing. And yes, it does cost me more money to do that, but that's the business of the future in my mind. Yeah. Um, maybe we can just touch upon how things have changed for you in light of what's happened with the, the pandemic. How's how's the goalpost changed over at Oliver Spencer? Well, <laughs> right now at the moment we're in uh, we're in in in, uh, in a bunker, <laughs> <laughs> um, weathering the weathering the storm. Um, uh, we're looking after ourselves, hundred mm-hmm. percent. That's the most important thing. So it starts with the staff, then it starts with our supply, and then it goes to our suppliers, um, making sure that all of them are looked after, fully paid. Um, I um, uh, and then thirdly, um, and and I don't want to be too uh, too down on the landlords, to be honest with you, because mm. I think they're getting an awfully bad stick, and some of them. Just some of them really deserve it, um, but some of them, uh, some of them are behaving very well. So, so the, the landlords, the landlords cannot be forgotten about um, mm. at the end of the day. So, we we do need to, you know, you need to have that mix up. But we, we need to survive what's going on. The difficult part of that, from a cash flow point of view, is that there is no exit sign. No one's put one up yet. Nobody's told us when we're going to um, move on from this this uh, sort of uh, state that we now found our, find ourselves in. Um, and this this is it's very unique for many many businesses. Um, so people with online businesses who are selling sort of loungewear and um, stuff that you can wear around the house are probably doing okay. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, it's a little more tricky because we're quite dressed up and um, people aren't dressing up at the moment. Um, so that's a bit of a tough one. Um, but but, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about the future and what, what it looks like. Um, independent retail tough tough time at the moment um third party wholesale is difficult um and and i'm going to say again i think the wholesale model probably has got to change um i'm not sure it's working the way it is at the moment um and i think people need to be um more um I think there needs to be more transparency about how goods are made. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of talk at the moment about uh, made in Italy. Um, I mean, who is exactly making it in Italy? 
Well, it turns out that there's 280,000 Chinese working in process, hmm. um, which is, is pretty heavy duty. It turns out they're all on the black economy. Hmm. Um, so I think that that's a very bad thing. And I think that some pe- certain people in the luxury goods sector um, are pulling the wool over people's eyes. Um, and and yes, it is made in Italy, but it's not made legally in Italy. Right. Um, so I think that that I think there's got to be some major changes there. Um, I think there's a, there's definitely a time that uh, that that we've got to look at ourselves and go, well, we can't, you know, we can't be producing stuff like this. The profit margins for the profit margins that these big luxury goods have as, uh, uh, are requiring are unsustainable. They can't get them legally. Yeah. Um, and I think that that, uh, that, that, that they need to look at themselves in the mirror and they need to, uh, to make some changes. And is this uh, a government issue in terms of implementing more policies and more kind of red tape around these people so that they can... So they have to be more transparent, or is it? I can't. Uh, I mean, uh, the Italian government is going to do what the Italian government wants to do, but I, I think that uh, I think no, I think it's down to the consumer. It's more consumer based. Uh, yeah, I think the consumer needs to vote by not buying these products, mm. um, and uh, we need to tell more people about this because it's quite disgusting. But if they were made more aware of it, so how can listen? I'm general. I, I, I am. I, I, I want to go back and say actually. Let me just give you a caveat here. There are some Italian manufacturers that are artisan and true and do an absolutely wonderful job. Sure. Okay. But there's this whole thing has now come out because of the Chinese people working in Italy, and that's the difficult thing. I mean, we also have something similar in the UK. I think where the say. For the example, the word London, I often think, is hijacked quite a lot. With putting... it, I know, I know what you're going to say because it's multicultural and all of the yeah, all of the. In fact, the workrooms that I work with and um, uh, have been doing for many years are mostly uh, mostly staffed by um, Turkish folk and Bangladeshi and Indian folk. Okay, but they've all got English passports. Mm massive difference they're all legally working here okay so that there's, there's a square massive difference there mm. so the, the 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 people in italy are being imported in to work for six months periods i i actually encourage a lot of people to um if they haven't at the moment got the opportunity to go into one of your stores obviously to really have a mooch around on your website i've been spending most of my morning on it and it actually does take you down a few rabbit holes where you can learn a lot about organic cotton learn a lot about linen yes. um, we and- tried we, we didn't just spend some time but we we employed um somebody to uh, blue his name is who uh, who part of his part of his everyday working week is to drive us forward in a more sustainable manner mm. um and sustainability is a, a really important part of the way we go about everyday life yeah well it looks fantastic uh, so that that to me is very important 
Um, linen, uh, just on the subject, you mentioned it. It's my favorite subject. It's the fabric of the future. Right. Um, so I think at the end of the day, we're, you know, we are, have been introducing more and more linen into our winter range. Um, and um, I think that there are lots of different, the, the, there's a viewpoint on linen that it always looks kind of a bit, bit crinkly and a bit messy. Well, actually, as the further forward we go with linen, we found out that if you freeze the yarn before it's woven, mm. it actually takes a lot of the crinkling out. Oh, wow. I didn't know. Um, so, yeah, so there's, they, they, there's one mill using that technology at the moment, but there'll be more mills to follow doing that as well. Wow. Do you know, I'm, I'm kind of with you on the whole linen renaissance at the moment. I've since learned that hospitals are massively craving linen because one of the big things that they need right now are linen sheets for the beds. They say, look, out of all of the supplies, you know, it's one of the things that we can't do without. Uh, yeah, I can really see that. Yes, 100%. And, uh, you know, I hope that um, um, I hope that these wonderful people at the NHS have all got a, enough clothing to uh, to wear. In fact, that's the next call I'm going on to is to talk to a journalist about um, perhaps making up, um, uh, perhaps using our operations in East London to to, to look at making up uh, more everyday clothing for the NHS worker who's 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 working so hard to protect our country and look after our people at the moment because i believe there's a shortage of clothing for them wow well oliver that sounds like a much more important call <laughs> well <laughs> it, it, yeah, I, I hope i can help because unfortunately i've got no one in the i've got no one in the factories at the moment well so that's a, that that's an issue as well so yeah. um but yeah listen thanks so much for your time Oliver OliverSpencer.co.uk for the people that are uninitiated that need a place to go and spend some time and do some learning do some shopping and also you know once we're all let out I encourage people to find find you around London Soho Shoreditch uh, Notting Hill a couple of outlets in Bloomsbury I believe but listen everything's available through the website Oliver thanks so much for your time thank you very much thanks for listening Oliver Spencer there. Now, as promised, here's that interview with Head of Sustainability at Oliver Spencer, Blue Wickham Burnham. Well, it's my great pleasure to introduce Blue Wickham Burnham, Head of Sustainability for Oliver Spencer. How are you doing today, Blue? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, just, uh, like I said, working from home, um, which is a little bit of change in pace, but yeah, it seems to be going well. And Blue, what is it that you actually do, say, on a day-to-day basis over at Oliver Spencer? Um, on a day-to-day, it really varies. Um, it because my job is is an overarching job. I I look at all different areas of the business and we analyse those and and try and work out a way to perform best as a business in its entirety rather than just kind of having a product focused strategy around environmental sustainability. However, um, product is generally our main focus um, because that's where our largest impact occurs. So. It's really working with new collections, seeing what's going on with them, seeing how we can progress and move forward, seeing what we can do outside of the collection, looking at packaging, looking at energy, looking at um, what's going on in the stores, looking at how we communicate what we're uh, doing to our customers. It it completely varies um, from a day to day. 
but it's generally looking at ways to improve our environmental and social performance. And was this a job that existed, say, 10 years ago? Were brands appointing people like yourself to overlook their sustainability department? Um, I think some of the larger brands might have. I think it probably would have been focusing more on um, the social side of things. So uh, manufacturing and making sure people are, are safe and um, kind of cared for within the supply chain. Um, and I think probably about... I mean, it was probably about seven years ago, I reckon five, between five and 10 years ago, the conversation moved into a more environmental realm as there was further understanding around the impact that the industry was having. Um, And yeah, so I I guess maybe 10 years ago, the bigger companies probably would have had someone mainly looking at the social side of things, maybe someone working on the environmental side of things as well, probably more around compliance rather than um progression and and like strategy and being creative with what you're doing um but as i'm sure many of your listeners will be aware the industry and people's understanding um of what the fashion industry is doing to the environment has changed massively over the last 10 years and that shift has, has caused a lot of people to kind of change the way they do things and now we're we're in a in a much better position where a lot of brands are focusing on this um a brand of our size generally doesn't have this role um Mm. and i feel like we have this role because it's so important to the brand and it just it feels natural it's just it's it's the way things are done it's even before i came into the business you know there was there was there perhaps wasn't the the knowledge base or the strategy wrapped around um, environmental sustainability but there was the intention there and um, they were doing things when they could but but then when I came in it it was about kind of making that a little bit more streamlined and and working forward and and using um, using the knowledge I had to to progress the brand basically. And what kind of schooling do you need for this Blue? Uh, Schooling for me I mean it started at university and learning about it there and applying myself and there really isn't one area that you can get all the information from this you have to kind of apply yourself to a few different areas mm-hmm. there's certain publications there's certain podcasts there's um other media outlets um that are doing things and, that, and that, as we just said as it's become more streamlined more media outlets are talking about it um business of fashion do quite a lot of good stuff mm-hmm. um, there's a publication which is really really good for anyone who's it's quite technical so you, you have to be kind of ready to apply yourself or have some knowledge already um is eco textile magazine um which comes out quarterly which is a very good uh yeah source of knowledge um but yeah i mean it really it really information comes from all different areas um and the one thing that's really important, which I always express to people, is is to be critical. You have to not take a, not have to not jump on bandwagons. You have to really look at things and and analyze how your situation is unique and how these things apply to you, um, and in not accepting necessarily what people tell you, um, mm. just to make sure. Because there's a lot of people talking about stuff that that perhaps isn't as good as they're saying it is um um and there's a lot of i mean yeah it's it's not a straightforward situation so 
and what is Oliver Spencer doing specifically to try and make itself more sustainable? We're, I mean, we're doing a variety of things. Like I said earlier, our main focus is on our product and mm-hmm. looking at, and that's because that's where our largest impact occurs. So it's looking at our product, looking at where the pressure points are and looking at how we can improve that. Now, one of the key focuses for us is our fabric usage. Um, working on using love footprint fabrics like organic cotton. Mm-hmm. Um, we use some other interesting fabrics like undyed walls. So the undyed walls actually have um, some really amazing colours as well. And by staying away from the dyeing process, you save yourself massive savings on water, firstly, because mm-hmm. there's lots of water that's needed to dye the the yarns or the fabric, then also wash fabric once they've been dyed. There's a lot of energy needed to heat that water for the dye bath and then also to heat the water that's used to clean the yarns or fabric. And then there's a lot of chemicals used in that process as well to dye the fabrics. And in addition to that, there's also water and energy which will go into creating those chemicals which are used to dye the fabric. So by kind of stepping away from that process, you create massive savings for a, for a garment um, or for a fabric straight away. So we, 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 we look at fabrics um, and try and work with lower footprint fabrics, but our, our kind of what we've been focusing on a lot recently is, is organic cottons, undyed wools, and um, also working with European linens as well. Because linen is another amazing plant which naturally just has a lower footprint. Um, and because we're a UK-based brand and we have UK manufacturing and the linen is grown in Europe, the transport of that um, is not too significant. So the, the, tr- the kind of the travel footprint as well is also reduced. And Blue, for the uninitiated, what's the difference between organic cotton and normal cotton? Well, from from how the, the fibre behaves, it shouldn't really be any different. You know, it shouldn't be any like... I don't think there's much notable noticeable difference in its, its softness or anything like that. But what it's really about is the environmental and social kind of benefits you get from it. So from a social perspective, straight away, the people who grow cotton or the people who live in the area surrounding where cotton is grown have to be exposed to the chemicals which are used in conventional cotton growing. Um, and these chemicals, in a lot of cases, are seriously harmful for human health um and i mean cancer rates in areas where they have conventional cotton growing in comparison to areas where it's organic cotton growing are significantly different um so by moving to organic cotton you automatically help the people who are growing cotton or handling raw state cotton or are living in surrounding areas of cotton growing. Um, and then from an environmental side of things as well, you really help by protecting the soil. Um, so soil health is important for a number of things. It's important for the ability of farmers to continue to use their land to grow cotton or other crops um, effectively as well. If you have healthy soil, your soil will be able to store water and have more nutrients to give to whatever it's growing. So there's less need for irrigation. Um, And also from an environmental perspective, when you're applying lots of 
uh, nitrates to the ground, they can also be released into the environment. And thirdly, any um, runoff water from cotton fields that gets into maybe river systems or um, any way that it filters into a water system that people use will also affect those people who are using that water system. It's quite a com- it's quite a complex thing, and it, it, I, I always found it hard at first because I think that saying if you talk about organic food, it's really straightforward to understand why that you know you're putting something in your body. It's quite easy to understand why it might be better to not have any chemicals um, in it. But when you're talking about organic cotton, it's not you're not really putting something directly into your body, although those chemicals are touching your body and your skin is absorbed so it will naturally um take on anything which is on that cotton but yeah it's a bit more yeah it's a bit more complex but it really i mean for me the main the main benefit is you're helping the people who are growing the cotton and you're helping build their future livelihoods as well by helping them protect their soil um because that is what they're going to live off in years to come and that's what they need to be kind of working towards protecting and building up as well and and also so I don't know if I mentioned it a second ago, but healthy soil is um, a very important factor in fighting climate change in the fact that it stores carbon. When you have healthy soil, plants can store carbon within that soil. Um, when you have dead soil or infertile soil, which has just been rinsed by um, chemicals, any carbon which is stored by a plant will just be released straight away. Blue Wickenburn and their head of sustainability for Oliver Spencer. Thank you, Blue. Thank you, Oliver. And thank you for listening. That's been this episode of Menswear Style. And I hope you join us on the next one. And I hope you're all staying safe out there. In the meantime, remember, it's only fashion, people. And you're never fully dressed without a smile.